Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 863 with Patrick Whalen. When you innovate, it's more comfortable to stick with whatever the status quo is. It's easier. It's it's certainly more efficient from sort of a short-term perspective to just kind of stay with how things are. But I think if you want to successfully innovate and change things, then you need to fight that reluctance to sometimes adapt, sometimes adapt when you really have to. And so a good motivation for us has always been, and for me especially, has been when somebody tells me that I I can't do something, I have a a penchant for um, trying to prove that you can, especially if it's worthy. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by DiageoBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And in February of 2022, Diageo Bar Academy celebrates 10 years, 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. And during this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy to access resources to help you learn new skills and stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O. E-O baracademy.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable 
aspect of talk to the manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with talk to the manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. But before I let you know what's in store, just a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. I'm always trying to remind you guys how you can support the show. Not trying to be pushy, but you know, I got to keep it top of mind because we, we need to grow this thing. We need to take it to the next level. And one of the best ways you can support this podcast is by joining Restaurant Unstoppable Network. It's literally a membership site. It's a network of the people I get on the show and the listeners of this podcast. So if you guys want the support of other listeners, restaurateurs from around the country who are also aspiring to be great. If you want to stand on the shoulders of giants, the people I'm getting on the show, connect with them, learn from them and you know, take this industry in the right direction and be unstoppable. Then come join the network, be a part of the conversation and uh, let's do this together. Um, literally be a part of this, this mission to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And it's 30 bucks a month uh, straight up honesty there, like, you know, transparency. Uh, but I really do believe in my heart of hearts that there is a win-win situation happening. You guys will find value and that money will go such a long way in taking this podcast and this resource and this community to the next level. Thank you in advance. So today we're talking to Patrick Whalen and Patrick Whalen is a past guest. He was episode 843 and that was such a great episode. And it was around this, this time I interviewed Patrick when I was in Nashville that I really started asking the question, what's broken with the industry and what are the solutions and what are you doing specifically to, to fix the problems in our industry? And Patrick's answer to that was the, the inequity between front of house and back of house. And uh, what they're doing is this program that they rolled out called tip the kitchen. And today we're going deep into their solution, how it's worked, and to give you a little bit of a teaser and how well this has worked, since rolling this out in March of 2021, they have raised over a million dollars to be paid out throughout their five or six restaurants to the back of house. A rough translation of this is basically their, their dishwashers are making 50000 a year. That that's pretty amazing. Uh, so we're going to get into the details of that today. We're going to talk about the challenges uh, that you might face with implementing this tip the kitchen model, uh, the step-by-step process to, to rolling it out. And um, this is a very, very powerful episode. And please, I, I, I beg you share this episode because the only way we're going to make a difference, the only way we're going to transform the industry is by making sure people are aware of the options and sharing this knowledge and, and uniting. So with no further ado, here he is, Patrick Whelan. All right. With excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for a second time CEO and co-founder of Fifth Street Group, Patrick Whelan. Patrick, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable. Thank <laughs> yes. So uh, this is, like I said, Patrick's second time on the show. We're, we're welcoming him back on the show. If you did not catch episode 843, I highly recommend you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 843 to hear Patrick's story. Uh, during that interview, uh, and it's a question I've been asking all my guests lately, I asked, 
what's broken with our industry and what are you doing to uh, be a part of the solution? How, how are we going to fix the broken problems with our industry? And to that question, Patrick answered, there is a wage uh, inequity between back of house and in front of house. And we need to cl- close that wage gap between the, the, the back of house and uh, front of house in a roundabout of words. Maybe not exactly those words, but that's the gist, right, Patrick? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's what we're going to be discussing today, uh, what your solution was, which is the tip the kitchen business model. And um, I, I really, you've had great success with this. Uh, before we get into the success you've had, uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. I think I should have given you a heads up about this, but this isn't your first rodeo, so you should have known it was coming. I got to come up with a new mantra now. Can I put um, you on the spot? <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, um, tell me I can't, and I'll show you I can. Tell me I can't, motto. and I'll show you I can. Why did you choose that one today? Um, because I think that when you innovate, um, especially when you innovate in a, in an established industry or an established way of doing business, um, it's very, it's more comfortable to sort of stick with whatever the status quo is. Um, it's easier. It's, it's certainly more efficient from sort of a short term perspective to just kind of stay with how things are. Um, but, I think if you want to successfully innovate and change things, then you need to fight that um, reluctance to sometimes adapt, sometimes adapt when you really have to. And so a good motivation for us has always been, and for me especially has been when somebody tells me that I, I can't do something, I have a, I have a, uh, a penchant for um, trying to prove that you can, especially if it's worthy. Yeah, so. yeah, man. Uh, great way to get this thing started. And you're kind of striking a vein with me right now because uh, I was just in New Orleans. I'm not going to name names, um, but we're talking. So I'm trying to really lean into this idea of transforming the industry and sharing knowledge and getting people together who are in my network to sit down around a table in person and talk about what what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And part of the the pushback I got is that no matter what you do, Eric, like the our industry, people in our industry just don't want to see change. The people that work in our industry are just here for a short period of time. And it's hard to get people on board. The, the things that you're proposing won't happen in our lifetime. It's not possible. We can't do it. And to that, I said, you're right. If you have that attitude, you're right. Mm-hmm. We won't mm-hmm. be able to do it because whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So I think it's really important to kind of off that, off the cusp of what you said to us, tell me I can't and I'll show you I can. We have to believe we can't because if we believe we can't, then we won't, we won't. You're right, we won't, it, we can't. So it's so important that we get on board with this and think that we can because it, it, we will not make progress. What's going through your mind as I say this? I mean, I completely agree. Um, I, you know, I personally bear witness to dozens of, of situations, whether they be full-scale business models or just ideas in your day-to-day basis, your operations that, that someone or something either said directly or implied was impossible. And, um, and now they are things. Um, and so impossibility is a real thing. Like I can't, I'm not going to, um, be able to fly personally. I can't lift up off the ground there are some basic rules that are in place. Um, but I think that differentiating rules of physics, 
um, and mathematics that are not going to change versus a way of doing business that uh, not only is going to change but needs to change um, are two totally different things, but a lot of times I think are sort of categorically lumped together for ease of use. Yeah, a uh, great way to get this started um, with that. Why don't you kind of, before we dive into how to do this and why you started to do this and what it was like before you were doing this, real quick, just give us some uh, key performance indicators, uh, some numbers that have that represent the success you're having. Sure. Um, the, the biggest number, obviously, is the, the top line, um, which is the total amount of money that um, we have um, generated towards this uh, kitchen gratuity initiative. Um, I actually just got the update. It's like literally in front of me while I'm looking at this. Is it, we are at one million seventy six thousand dollars. When did you uh, start this? About ninety four dollars. We started in April. In April of of twenty one. Yeah. So it's so one million. Seventy-six thousand. Sorry, one million seventy-six thousand. Okay, so mm-hmm. is that one point seven, or I'm trying? That's that's not one point zero zero seven. Okay, sorry, six. Yeah, yeah. So um, keep going. Yeah. So that number and the way that we got that number was a partnership between our guests who have contributed um, five hundred ninety-one thousand and change towards this initiative, and the ownership group which I represent which uh, has contributed um, in this part of the initiative $486,000. So that's how you get to 1.076. Okay. So part of this isn't just from – so so when you say tip, let's back up a little bit because there's another number that I thought was really interesting that I want my, my uh, listeners to hear is that how, how much is your dishwasher making? Uh, our average dishwasher is making around 50K a year for our company. Okay. Those are pretty significant numbers. So uh, back to yeah. how this splits up. You said what of this one point zero seven six, mm-hmm. what uh, percent? How much of that is coming from partners? And you had a, a split two ways. So I'll, I'll make I'll make it easy. About six hundred k is coming from our guests, and about five hundred k is coming from the restaurant. Okay. Obviously, that's not exactly right, but that's that's the ballpark. Um, and that's been sort of the ratio since we started this, um, where it's gotten more favored towards the guests, but in the beginning, our hope was that uh, the match, which is the the ownership side, would be the um, demonstration to our guests that uh, we were for real about this. We weren't asking them to subsidize the entire program, but rather to partner with us. And I think that those numbers, which are are pretty close together, frankly, uh, reflect that partnership. It's the walk the walk. You can't ask of your guests what you're not willing to do yourself to make change, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and not only that, I'm, I think that that the level of participation, uh, the amount of uh, participation both by our guests and by us um, reflect um, a change in thinking about the way the marketplace works. It's not just that they're throwing a dollar or two that I am. Um, we match $500 a day, and we hit $500 a day pretty frequently. I mean, over the weekend, uh, Saturday, I think all of the restaurants were well over $500 um, each. Um, and so that was our goal from the beginning was to motivate people to participate on a level that was actually going to affect real change in the lives of the people that were benefiting from this. All right. Awesome. Thank you for kind of painting that picture as to where this is today. But let's go back to before you started. Before right. this was even on the table as a solution, 
give us a paint that landscape, paint the picture of the pain points your restaurant was experiencing. So this really started in March of 2021. And we were, by we, I mean, Americans or humans, I guess, uh, were coming out of what we thought was COVID. Obviously, we weren't done yet, but we um, were seeing the the volume and the demand for going out to eat spike astronomically um, at all of our stores. Simultaneously, we were seeing a, the beginnings of the staffing crisis that has been at this point really well documented. Uh, not only in restaurants, but in lots of businesses. But I think restaurants were one of the, the sort of the, the leaders of the, the first impact. We've been the vanguard of a lot of this. And so we were that um, for the staffing crisis as well. And so what we had was this really tough situation for, I think, most restaurant owners, which was that the demand was there. The volume was there. Thank thank God, after you know a year of misery, the demand was back and it was back in spades. But it was it was it was frustrating. It was it was hard. And in some cases, it was, I'm sure, maddening because restaurants could not staff their restaurants adequately to be able to handle the volume. Um, uh, and and that, was, that was happening in real time where you would have a shift where you'd have, you know, two thirds of your normal staff for a decent night. And suddenly you'd be doing volume on par with what a Saturday night would look like uh, during the busy season. Yeah. That's just a recipe for disaster. And so that was the the real pressure point, not just for us, but I think for a lot of restaurants, February, March, April, that when it first started to kind of kick back in last year. Yeah. And then you have to explain to guests who are walking in who see plenty of open seats that they can't mm-hmm. come in because we, right. we just can't handle right. the volume and how try to explain that to the, the your, over and over again. It, it gets pretty infuriating. Um, well, it's not, I mean, it's not anything that, that, that it's not anything that, that you can explain to a guest. I think, I mean, I, I think it's hard just from a from a logical standpoint to walk in and see a see it not a not a busy restaurant with a few empty tables but rather a half full restaurant or less where they're saying we, you know we can't we can't take you i think that, that that is the part where where people who might have been willing to understand don't anymore yeah um what what do you think the cause of the the staffing shortage is i mean there's a few variables here i don't know if it's worth getting into but like one that I've, I, I'm aware of, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, is just the fact that the cost of, of child support, uh, people, when you factor in the cost of child support, it's cheaper to collect unemployment and to watch your kids right now than it is to go to work and put your kids through you know, child care. Sure. That's definitely one. Um, I think that, honestly, restaurant work environments are shitty is the honest answer. And I think that they're a lot of times they're very toxic. And I think that my restaurants have been part of that, uh, you know, before COVID. Um, and I think it's a byproduct of having a whole bunch of things. The first is that there's, um, a workforce of a lot of young people that don't necessarily know they want to do this as a career, um, creating sort of this transient quicksand. Um, and then you've got a lot of, alcohol, um, ready access to alcohol and, and drugs late nights. Um, and those create, uh, situations that can be potentially toxic, especially if it's already a toxic atmosphere. And then the one that really stands out to me, 
um, is obviously the wage gap and the toxicity that comes with that of the resentment that, that almost always permeates the front and back of the house because the front of the house was making just exponentially more money than the back of the house was. And you can throw in there a little bit of the crazy politics of COVID and, and guests screaming at staff over masks or not wearing masks or hand sanitizers or menus or all the things that people uh, want to fight over. I think that created a really, really unpleasant, um, frankly, hostile environment that people were being asked to come back to. And yeah. I don't blame any of them for not wanting to. Mm-hmm. I- and not to get into like a, this the whole conversation about mass not mass. I don't want to make this like a political thing, but I do think that sure. there's something to be said about we we in this industry don't necessarily do the work for the money. Can there be money to be? Is there money to be made? Yeah. However, the people who are truly passionate about this industry don't work for the money as much as they work for the satisfaction, the smiles. You know, we we work for the sure. instant gratification. And for the people who are in this industry who are who are driven by that instant gratification, the cookie the reward we're not getting it like because we don't see it in in I don't not, with know the, not, with, not with the not with the same kind of um frequency that you did before covid um i think that covid has indelibly um left an imprint imprint on everyone and so when guests go out now and they go to a restaurant um, they so desperately want things to be normal again. Yeah. This is at least my impression. And I think it's how I felt when I've gone out to eat is you just want things to be normal. I've been in my house for months. I, you know, work from home. I don't have a lot of social interactions. Uh, I want to go out to eat and I want it to be normal. And when restaurants are not normal for lots of reasons that we're discussing, I think that, that makes people angry because it's a reminder that we're not back to normal yet. And that um, restaurants are going to be a reflection of the damaged world that unfortunately we're kind of limping through right now. And so, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't want to be political either, but so these are real consequences that are documented across the country. This isn't our restaurant. This is every restaurant um, that's, that's struggling with this. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's I'm, a byproduct of, of, a, of a really tough couple of years, yeah, frankly, for I, everybody. I mean, I'm talking about the, the psychological effect of actually being able to see smiles. I think that we don't mm-hmm. realize how important it is for mental health to see faces. We, we communicate through body language and facial expressions. When you're, when you're covering that up, we're, we're, we're depriving ourselves of something. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to say this. I'm not anti-mask or anything. Like that. I'm just saying it's a, it's a natural byproduct of having to do this. We're depriving ourselves mm-hmm. of natural intrinsic just good good vibes good feelings good cookies you know what i'm saying like we don't get that it's going to bring the mood down and i think there's a definitely a subconscious thing going on here where we're just not getting that that emotional and sociological reward that we would get otherwise mm-hmm. and i don't want to make this whole conversation about that but i think it's a real thing that maybe might seem so insignificant but i think it's there i think there's something going on there but anyway i don't need to get into a rabbit hole but i just i like i geek out over that stuff um so back to your story and where you were before you decided to implement this, we're going back to March, 2021. What was the landscape of your businesses? Like on a scale from one to 10, were people happy? What were the pain points you were experiencing before you implemented this? I mean, we were, we were feeling it. Um, I actually got an email from, um, or a phone call from my general manager, at, uh, our store in Charleston base. And he, and he, 
he he rarely reaches out to me um, unless something's really wrong. And he reached out and he was like nine one one. I said, "Oh my god!" So I called him up and he and he was just saying, "Listen, you know, we're doing incredible volume, but our our team is getting crushed. Um, we don't have enough people to man the kitchen. We don't have enough people to man the front of the house." Um, the people that we have are taking, you know, taking crazy, um, abuse from our guests, um, or at least some of them, uh, the guys in the kitchen are just getting pounded. Like they're not able to make good food. They're just, they're just barely keeping their head above water. Um, now that was at one of the stores in Charleston. Um, that was, a. uh, precedent for what was going to ultimately happen at all the stores. That was just sort of the first uh, to feel it. And so that was the sort of the, the blinking red light that we are in big trouble and we need to do something. Yeah. Um, so when, so you, you identified the problem. Uh, how did the solution start to come to you? What was that conversation? What was that dialogue like? I got back. I was, I took a, I took a trip. I took my kids to Disney world in March. Um, and which was kind of pointless. <laughs> All the characters were up on like rooftops and in boats and stuff. Like they didn't interact with the kids, which is sort of why you go. But, um, but my father-in-law really liked the avatar ride, by the way. So if anybody ever wants to go on that, it's a great ride. It's a new um, ride, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. It is pretty <laughs> awesome. And he, he had the time of his life anyways. Right. Sorry. We digress. But, um, Oh, I just, I'd just gotten back from Disney World, and um, there was a chef that we had—not a chef, a, a, a senior line cook that we had at one of our stores—who had asked our executive chef if they could borrow some money. And the the question came as to, well, why, you know, if everything all right, or do you, you know? And he said that he was he needed grocery money, and. Whether that was true or not, I have no idea. I didn't go with him to the grocery store afterwards. Um, but it was a sickening feeling because whether that was true or not for him in that moment, it was true for lots of people. And I just felt like a shit. I just got back from Disney World and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with my family and there are people that are working for me that, that were struggling to pay the bills. And that's just... Put food on the table. You know, that's just that's just not an acceptable reality, and it's one that um, that I think, frankly, a lot of restaurant owners are going to have to look hard at themselves in the mirror and face because that's that's what's going on. If you're paying somebody twelve, thirteen bucks an hour to work for you, fourteen dollars an hour to work for you, they're not they're making below the poverty. Um, and then you're asking them to work 40, 50 hours a week. You, you know, you're putting them in a situation where they're below the poverty line. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, that was a hard reality for me to, to deal with. And that's ultimately what motivated me to, 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 to get tip the kitchen going was that you have all these, all these, what appear to be disconnected factors meeting at one point of confluence, which is that, you know, we don't have enough staff. We're incredibly busy and the staff that we have is getting pounded and the staff that we have, you know, is not being able to make money the way that that um, that they need to to be able to keep their head above water, and further, that even though the stores were busy, because I've heard this before, and this is worth talking about, even though the stores were busy and they were making money, we were paying back hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt from 2020. Mm. I mean, I'm not talking about 
10 grand, 20 grand. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. In fact, company wide over a million. Um, and so we weren't in a position to be able to say, okay, well, we'll just, you know, pay any amount of money to everybody because we weren't, um, even in the, in the red at that point, we're in, we're, I'm sorry, we weren't even in the black at that point. So I'm sitting here going, we have to pay these guys more money. We can pay them some more money, but sooner or later, we are no longer solvent. How do we get more money into this operation? How do we get more money into the operation in a way that allows our staff to, to make more? Now, there were places that were raising prices. There were places that were adding, you know, 5% fees and all this other stuff. But I just view those as all being, you know, price raises, um, which were not acceptable options to me. Raising prices is, turns guests away and narrows the field of people that could potentially come to your restaurant, which is ultimately what funds everything. Um, so raising prices was not an acceptable solution um, for us. Yeah, on that, so, on that vein, keep going. Like, what were the other? So you you looked at raising prices, decided that wasn't an option. What were the other possible? I mean, we looked at, looked at right. Sorry, we looked at. Um, I mean, the one thing that we looked at the most carefully, or at least that I did, was was what Union Square Hospitality Group was trying to do up in New York, which was to eliminate tipping completely, um, and just raise prices. And I think he, I think so Danny Meyer is the owner and I don't know what his title is, but he's the owner and founder of that group. And, um, I mean, I, I had friends that had worked for him during that and there was talk, um, just basically that that was not a, an approach that was working very well. So was that um, increase was was that increased 5%? I think I heard you mention that was, what they did increase just uh, no they increased no they got rid of tipping altogether so i think they increased prices 25 percent, 30 percent, somewhere in that range to be able to to um to eliminate tipping altogether and so raising prices 30 percent or even 25 percent um is a lot of money that's that's a lot um which and is so funny, but I it, think that, that it is a lot. But at the same time, I feel like that's what people are spending. Anyway, like there's a psychological thing going on there. Uh, that right. Just, but what you're eliminating is choice, yeah. which is a big part of tip the kitchen. Um, something that I think I think the, 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 the inherent flaw in the sort of radical shift from no tipping or to, from tipping to no tipping. And I, and I respect what they did, I, I, I think it was brilliant. Frankly, it just didn't didn't really work, um, and I think it didn't work because it took away choice from the guests. Yeah, it said everyone has to pay this right now, and the other problem of it was is that other restaurants were not participating. I think that no tipping works if everyone participates, but the minute that there are places that don't participate, then the earning power of your your front of house staff in particular. Um, goes flying up because your top servers can make more money somewhere else. And so if you're not able to provide an environment where the best people make the most money, they're going to leave. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of where that particular model started to, is, to scare me and, and go sideways a little bit. Is this what go you ahead. were hearing from the people that worked in this restaurant? Yes. This is the, yeah. And, and, and it was discussed. I mean, uh, other people that were, contemporaries that work in New York, I mean, it's discussed pretty actively on social media. Um, I had one friend in particular who, who was working at one of his stores that said that that was a problem keeping or hiring and retaining good staff. I didn't go work there. I wasn't a manager there. And so everything that I got was, was, was secondhand. But um, 
they have moved away from that model now, probably because of COVID. Uh, some of the other restaurants that did the no tipping thing have moved away from the model as well. Um, and so I think, I think that the lack of choice that the guests um, didn't enjoy or the, the, the guests were forced to, to take um, was too much for them. It just, it, it just, they didn't, they didn't, the Americans need their choice. They want choice. Choice and too. When and you I take think that it, away from them, they lose it. They just can't deal with it. And I think there's something to be said about it feels good to tip. It feels good to know that you're doing, it, it does. Feels good to, it feels good to do good. And I think when you're, even though it's, even though it's expected, it's not mandatory. But you, yeah, right? so you're part of the, you're on the good, that. you're one of the good guys when you do it, right? So that, that right. feeling, that little release of endorphins that you get when you say, yeah, you know what? Here's 20%. Well, maybe that's, it makes you maybe feel that's their good. cookie, right? Yeah. Isn't that you know what we're just talking about? That's the guest's cookie yeah. is that they get the opportunity to show their appreciation. Exactly. But I, I but I do want to reemphasize what you said about no, not, no other restaurants were participating. And I think that's one of the big things that, I'm trying to do is say, Hey, if we're going to create change, it can't just be one restaurant. We need to start sharing this information. We need to start, we need to make a collective effort to do these things so that it becomes standard. And yeah, is there going to be pushback? Is there going to be resistance? But there's strength in numbers. If we collectively say, we are going to start doing this, we are going to start taking care of our industry. We are going to start taking care of our employees and charging what we need to charge and doing what we need to do to be considered as a legitimate business or career Industry. path yeah. for, for mm-hmm. people, for we, the, the sole purpose in my, in my opinion, the sole purpose of going into business is to create other opportunities for others. And it's impossible to do that. There isn't enough, op- there isn't enough resource to create opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you well, it's funny because really disagree with that? I, I, don't, I mean, I think if we're, if we're contrasting, if we're contrasting some of the functional problem of, of the no tipping model is that the no tipping model relies on other restaurants to also participate because if other restaurants don't participate, it undercuts their ability to sort of set the marketplace. Whereas tip the kitchen is the inverse. I don't, I don't need any other restaurants to participate in tip the kitchen at all. They don't want to do it. They don't have to do it. Um, it gives me um, a, re- a remarkable advantage over the marketplace. And so theoretically the more restaurants that participate, hurt me because that's more people that I have to compete with that are able to pay on level that I pay. That said, um, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing any which way, but that's that difference, that differentiating factor between that model and our model is a really important one because I can self-sufficiently run tip the kitchen in my company forever. And I, and I'll never change that. And it doesn't, I don't need other places to to do it or not um, because our, our system works uh, in a standalone model and it also works in a group model. Okay. I feel like the, the people who have joined us are like, get to the, the details already. How did you guys put this together? What is the model? Uh, but real quick, we got to thank our sponsors. Uh, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by DiagioBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And this February 2022 is Diageo Bar Academy's 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. And over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. During this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training 
sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills or stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Speaking of trends, make sure you head over to DiageoBarAcademy.com to check out the top trends for 2022 and beyond. Inspiration for seasonal recipes in low slash no ABV serves, which is pretty popular right now. Thousands of recipes for all styles of cocktails, e-learning and masterclasses available on demand in weekly newsletters so you are always in the know. Diageo Bar Academy provides everything you need to improve your career in the industry, diverse content featuring experts from around the globe, member-only exclusive content and events, in ABV calculators, large format cocktails, and profit calculators to boot. There's so many tools for you. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you'll be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. We're back, and uh, we've been kind of just discussing the issues. This is going back before you decided decided to implement this program. Uh, we should call it a business model because that's really what it is, right? You corrected me in the past. Yeah. So yeah, it's a business model. Sure. So, what made you kind of summarize real quick? What made you land on the tip the kitchen business model? Like, what made you say this is our path? This is what's going to work for us. I think that the crowdsourcing sort of functionality of this is what makes it really work. Um, I don't like forcing people to pay more money. I don't like people forcing me to pay more money. Uh, And I know that people don't like being nickel and dime. And so because it's a gratuity that's not required, the tip the kitchen component is not required. It's really up to the guests what they put in or they don't. And that piece of it is what makes it so um, pliable because 21% of our guests actually have left a gratuity for the kitchen. 21.3% of our total guest count have left a tip for the kitchen. Um, That means that 79% didn't. That means that a vast majority of our guests are saying to us, I'm not ready to pay more money for what I received, which is absolutely fine. I have no issue with that. That might be their economics. It might be the product that I'm delivering. It might be the environment that we're in right now. It might be the nature of inflation. Everybody's scared. I, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Um, I don't need uh, even half of the people to participate um, in the tip the kitchen model to make it work. In fact, it's working better than I think initially I had hoped it would work this quickly. Um with, like I said, 21% participating. Um, so if you're looking at it from that perspective, you're not, you're not forcing people to pay more money. Uh, the way that a friend of mine described it was it was, a, it was a, basically an optional way to raise prices that you know as a guest exactly where the money is going. I think a lot of times people don't like being nickel and dime because they're like, well, where does this money go and where does that money go? In our case, if you leave a tip to the kitchen, 100% of that tip goes to the kitchen. 100% goes to the kitchen. 
And so when I say I'm raising prices across the board 25%, you as a consumer, Eric, have no idea what I'm doing that month. I, I could be putting all that in my, in my pocket. Maybe I'm going to go back to Disney World. You know, maybe I'm going to go ride Jeff Bezos's rocket ship into outer space. But if I tell you this is for Tip the Kitchen specifically, that money goes to the kitchen staff specifically. So um, there are some questions coming in. Thank you, Bob. I see your questions. Uh, we will get to them. I, and th- that's a question I had as well. But I kind of want to continue into this this um, this idea. Guess so. It's, a lot of this seems to be psychological. Um, and what, what, what I'm thinking, what I'm curious about, are are there things we can do to create like an app, for example, or a loyalty program that creates almost like, hey, if you choose to leave a, t- leave a tip for the kitchen, there's something in it for you beyond just the the gratification. Sure. Like, like, I mean, we could we could flag. I mean, we haven't gotten that far yet, but we certainly could flag it. Um, I think my concern about any added incentive, besides the fact that the ownership is participating, which I think is an incentive, is that I don't want people that don't participate to feel as though they're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, this is why we don't set a market. Like on our receipts, we don't, you know, sometimes at the bottom of our receipt, they'll say, suggested tip 18 20 21 or whatever we don't set a marketplace for a tip of the kitchen because frankly we don't want to we don't want to tell people how much to spend or how, how little to spend we only want them to leave a tip if, if they really feel like their experience was was worthy um if you feel as though the comp the place that you're eating at is providing all this incentive for you to leave a tip, it might feel solicitous, which is actually one of our rules is we don't, we don't want to ever solicit a tip for the kitchen. In fact, our staff is instructed specifically not to discuss it unless a guest asks, because I don't want our guests to feel as though they're obligated to leave a tip for the kitchen. And so if there's incentives beyond just the, the program that exists now, I would worry about the people that don't leave tips feeling as though they're obligated to do so. Um, I would like them to, to come to this naturally. Uh, if somebody has a great steak and they're like, Oh my God, that was awesome. And they want to leave a tip. Perfect. And then if after that, they feel like maybe I should just always do this as part of going out to eat, that's their prerogative or maybe they don't, but I want them to get there on their own rather than feeling like I'm pushing that along. Yeah. Okay. I think what I really want to start to get into like the nitty gritty of actually how you set this up. So, um, when you implemented it, what does like the actual, like take us through step by step. I want to do this for my restaurant. What is the mm-hmm. process? What are the tools? What do I need to know to execute this well? Um, so the first thing is, is that we've published all of our systems and functionality on uh, social media platforms called Tip the Kitchen. Tip underscore kitchen on Twitter. And I forget what the one is on Instagram, but same, same idea. I'm sure if you search for it, you'll find it. And in that, it reports all of our uh, weekly performance. We'll do that for one year. So we'll do it through May 1st. Um, but it also talks about the rules when we set this up. We had five rules, which I don't actually remember what they are. I know what they are sort of from a basic standpoint. But the way you start is is you have to teach the guests first um, what they're doing. And so we have a little cutout, a little section of each of our menus that describes what tip the kitchen is, how it works, um, where the money goes, what it's intended for, and why we're doing it. At the same time, you have to train sort of the back of the house functionality of how it works. You have all this new revenue coming in. There has to be a way to control it, manage it, make sure it's going to the appropriate people. And so we sort of 
approached it from both sides, trying to get me to the middle. So the accounting human resources side designed spreadsheets and um, sort of reports where you could see who worked and where the money was distributed to. Um, and then the marketing front of house side designed the menus and the presentation. Um, obviously we've done some press and so we pushed it to try to inform our guests as to what we're, we're doing. And, and each time that you do it, you work closer and closer towards the whole house being on the same page as to how the system works. And so runs. the rules, just to make sure I understand, there's a couple rules. Mm-hmm. The first rule is you have to teach the guests how it works. The second rule is you have to teach the staff how it works. I mean, these are not the rules, the tip the kitchen rules. These are sort of my rules for oh, okay. the purposes of this conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> right now. Um, I think the rules are, are it's, it's, it's the choice of the guest. Um, it's entirely up to them. Um, we don't want to solicit. We don't want to ask them for it. It's only for a worthy experience. Um, all of the money goes to the kitchen staff. That, that's all hourly staff and all salaried staff that make less than, I think it's 70 grand a year. I might have moved up to 75, but I think it's 70 grand a year. So if you make $70,000 or less, you participate. If you make more than that, then you don't. Um, and, and I think in our stores, I think in our stores, that threshold really speaks to only like the executive chef or, or, or director positions. Um, and that's really, and then the store matches. And so, you know, if you leave a $50 tip, Eric, if you come in, you leave a $50 tip, then the store matches $50. Um, to make sure that uh, the guests understand that this is not us soliciting them, but rather a partnership between the hospitality industry and our guests to um, pay our people in a way that allows them to make a little wage. Okay. So um, the, so when you say no soliciting, you basically, you can't in that moment be like, Oh, by the way, you can leave a tip for, I mean, to me, that's like the only part of the restaurant experience that's that's truly transactional is when they pay, mm-hmm. right? Is when the guests pay, and I've always I, I hate it. Honestly, it's always is very crass. I just the whole it's like you have you've built this amazing experience for them between the design and the music and the food and the timing and the service. It, it's intended to completely immerse them and transport them away from reality. And then right when they're about to leave and they're feeling good and, and they're on desserts, you, you, you put a, you put a <laughs> check in front of them and you remind them of reality, Yeah, you know, which we all, we're all used to at this point. I actually love the Uber. You don't even see it on Uber. It just well, comes out of your account. Um, the, I wish we could figure out how to do that. The thing is, we, why can't we figure out how to do that? And well, as you're we saying this, can. I'm like, this is the argument you're put making. Put that on the list. Is like membership um, models. I don't like how trans. Well, I think the reason why we have to is because of the because of the gratuity side of it. If it was just the payment side, maybe you could do it on an app. I don't know. Somebody out there who's listening, figure it out, and you can have the idea. I think but, just um, a membership model. Like if you are on this list, you depending yeah. what tier you're in determines sure, how maybe. many meals you get a month. And you come in, maybe you scan something, you're in subscription and you, services, yeah, maybe. And then whether or not they show up, you you're getting that cash flow. And if they hit their, yeah. you know, if they if they hit their limit, then you say, hey, like you hit your limit, um, you can move to the next tier if you want, or we have to charge you additional for today's meal. Mm-hmm. But ideally, mm-hmm. if you make that process seamless, it's like a house account, exactly, yeah, it's like a house account. There's digital yeah. tools and resources to us that have never been there before that make that seamless and so easy that sure. there's got to be a way sure. to work it out. Um, that's I actually have a, you have it. I have a tangent. You want to hear it? I have a tangent it. idea. You want to, <laughs> uh, so I had this idea of, of 
this thing where um, you have an app on your phone and this is subscription based and it's tied to open table maybe or resi or whatever system. And it's, it's called the red, it's called the red button. Yeah. And what it does is it'll, it, it's, it, you get to use it one time a meal and you push the button and it sends an alert to all of the phones or all the, all the devices that are connected to the network. And it alerts the manager that there's an issue at the table. And what it does is it saves the time and the frustration when something's wrong. Now you can't use it over and over and over again. So if, you, if, if you've got, if you've just got a million problems, that's not going to work, but, and you shouldn't use it unless you absolutely have to. But let's say for example, there's a problem with your food. It just gets put, it gets put down, you cut into it. Your steak is really undercooked. Let's just say it's that you, you push this button and the steak goes, uh, excuse me, the, the manager comes right over. Instead of having to wait and flag them down or wait for the server to come back and maybe they get busy at another table, and so you either just eat it or you get pissed off and you don't eat it and you leave it to the side, you push this button, a manager comes over within two minutes, grabs the steak, takes it back. That way you eliminate the, 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 the time that you're pissed. Yeah. It's like your guest is pissed when they can't eat. They're here to eat and they can't eat. Yeah, And, 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 and also it eliminates the, the, the time that you spend interacting with somebody that can't fix the problem. You go to the server, the server's going to have to go get a manager, the manager's going to have to come over. All that takes time, and, and at time is time where you're, you're annoyed. And somehow time up slows down when, when you're in that you might It's true. Wait for when you're hungry. Minutes, but it feels like 10. Yeah. Everyone else at the table is eating. You can't, so you end up having to send the food back. All right. This will help the restaurants because the restaurants can make more money because they don't waste all their money comping food. Anyways, sorry. And that's that's my uh, Resi, that's open my table. <laughs> Toast. Take it. If you're listening to this, come on. Do it. It's a good idea. Okay. Thank you for that. (laughs) So back to tip the house or sorry, tip the kitchen. Um, So where we left off is kind of, we understand the basic rules on no soliciting. Uh, It has to be a choice. Uh, You have to educate the customer. You have to educate the staff. These are kind of the obvious thing in the house matches. Uh, So what does that, when the house matches, do you have like a profit account that's set up? Like uh, like a so like where does that money come from? I guess is it coming from your, your the profit the owner's pay profit over his pay? It's just it's an operating expense. It's part of it's part of your expense. So it's, that that we, that match we, comes we from the operational in, expense account. Go Got it. Yes. Got exactly. It. And does that? I mean, I guess over time, did you see what that is, and like, has it gotten to an issue where that that tip the kitchen has pulled so much from your opex account that you can't cover your other liabilities like labor and cost of goods sold? Or how do you, how oh, do you no, identify that? Is it opposite. part of your prime cost? The the direct expense of tip the kitchen comes out company wide. Now obviously each restaurant's different, but for us across the five restaurants is about three point three percent operating expenses. So our operating expenses have gone up by three point three percent. If you're only looking at that expense sort of under a microscope, what that expense has done is more or less eliminated the need for training and for constant hiring because your staff doesn't quit. You don't have turnover. Um, Pre-COVID, I think that our turnover rate was around 1%, maybe even a little bit higher. Um, Since we started Tip the Kitchen, I think we're at 0.1%. What about your shrinkage? 0.2%. Wait, say that one more time. So we were were north of 1% in turnover costs. I'm saying direct turnover costs, so like training ads on Craigslist or on Indeed or whatever, hiring. Um, now I think we're at like 0.1 or 0.2% company wide. So we've had, uh, I guess about a 1% savings, direct savings on training. So when I say 3.3%, it's actually more like 2.3% if you deduct out the training costs. 
Well, um, I'm and that curious. doesn't speak to any of the other stuff that any of the other financial benefits of not constantly turning your team over, like for example, overcooking dishes or the shrinkage is where crazy overtime or yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. have you, have you been tracking the data on shrinkage and is there a, a trackable, uh, I mean the trend down? Sure. The best, the best, well, the, I mean, we don't turn over staff. Um, but the big thing is, is that we, we, we have not raised our prices and yet our food costs have stayed fairly stable. They've gone up a little bit, but we haven't raised prices in spite of the fact that most of the product that's out there has gone up by 20 to 30% in terms of cost. Um, so we've been able to do that because our normal waste, our normal like mistakes and stuff are down by, I don't know the number I could, I could probably look it up pretty quickly, but we don't, we don't have a ton of mistakes anymore. We don't have to throw away food or product anymore if you had a because guess, we've got you, kitchen staff that cares. If you had to guess what your percentage is on waste and shrinkage down, a whole point, half a point? At least a point. A point? I would guess. So you're making yeah. – you're, you're, right now you're only I've up still, a point, a little over a point, maybe a, po- a point and a half total increase. Yeah. To, to be able to pay your dishwashers five or sorry, 50000 a year. I mean – yeah. It's, well, not only that, Eric, is, is – okay, so let's say your profit margin is 10%, but because it's hit the kitchen, it's now 9%, right? Yeah. But what would you rather have? Would you rather profit 10% on a million dollars or would you rather profit 9% on $2 million? Exactly. And so the, the tip the kitchen and the ability to handle the volume, uh, handle immense volume because you don't have turnover and handle it the right way, has allowed us to be yeah from a from a margin standpoint slightly less but on a lot more revenue i mean our our revenue uh let's just use uh church and union charleston as an example our 2019 revenue was like 5.6 million dollars i think plus or minus somewhere in there our 2021 during covid um in the midst of all this craziness our top line i think was like 8.4 million up almost over 3 million over $3 million. Yeah. Um, so, so we were able to, so the volume was there to be had and we were able to, to, to handle the volume because we had the staff and because we had good staff that was trained and we weren't buried in constant turnover. And that's not, that's not just the kitchen that's impacted by the way. It's the front of house managers that are constantly having to hire people and fire people, and look on Craigslist and write people up and all the, all that. You know, all that is sort of, it's not completely gone because that's not a realistic expectation in the business. But again, I think we're down like we were at a point in maybe 1.1, 1. 1, 1 point as a company. I think we're down to 0. 0.2, yeah. um, 0.1. So so it's not just the direct savings. It's also the savings of time and energy and, and frankly, misery that people, you know, a chef doesn't want to sit there and look at Indeed. A chef doesn't want to look at Craigslist all day at a bunch of people that end up not showing up for their interviews. What a chef wants to do is make food and be creative and work with their vendors and, and teach. Um, it's it, to think of a chef as anything less than, than at least uh, partially an artist is an, in, is an incorrect assumption. Every great chef is at least somewhat an artist. And if you take them away from their art and you make them, you know, sit in front of a computer all day long, you're going to have a chef who's either miserable or has one foot out the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to get, I want to drill down a little bit further and get into the nitty gritty. What, what tech stack are you using and how are you implementing that to track and to collect payment? And what are the, the things we need to do operationally, systematically mm-hmm. to execute this? So to my knowledge, the only two point of sale systems that, that 
exist currently where you can add a kitchen gratuity line, our Posi Touch, which we use, and Toast, um, <laughs> which is which has grown in popularity pretty dramatically recently. So you have to program and put a line on your receipt that says kitchen gratuity. That's the first step. That's that's the sort of the facilitator that allows the guests to actually participate. Um, then on our end, we just have we have spreadsheets that we've created that, that have lists of all of the employees that work um, for us, and then the days that they work, we just enter in you know that they worked, that they qualify for tip the kitchen, and then they get um, their equal share based on however many people work that day. And then we record it in our end of day reports, so we can go back and reconcile if we have to. What are the qualifying things you said under seventy thousand? Dollars. They have to be mm-hmm. salary or hourly or what? They're they can just, be. They can be salary or hourly. As long as as long as their take home as long if their salary, they have to make less than seventy grand a year. Um, if they're hourly, they participate regardless. So any salary below seventy thousand in all hourly back of house staff. Yes. Any other quality? That number might factors? be seventy five k. I wish somebody would text me and tell me, but uh, I think it might be seventy five. Give or take five. Seventy five. Around yeah. there. Um, it's, it's, it, the point is the point of that number is it's market based. So if in New York, that m- number might be higher because the city obviously the the the, the, the pay there is a little higher than it is here. Um, it, it's intended to be market based, but but either seventy or seventy five grand is still speaking to the same sort of segment of the workforce. I'll put market based basically. This that depends on your market. Any other qualifying variables we should know about? Uh, they have to work four hours. A so min- a minimum of four the, hours a week. A minimum of four hours. Uh, no, I'm sorry, per shift. Okay. So to qualify that shift to participate in Tip the Kitchen, they have to have worked at least four hours, which is you know we pick that number as being sort of the halfway point of a of a of an eight hour shift of a full full time shift. Okay. So now that we know what the qualifying variables are to be considered for this program, how do you decide where the money goes? It's just divided equally between everybody that works at Chef. So you get $100 that is earned for Tip the Kitchen. Hopefully, it's, we'll say $1,000 that's earned in a night for Tip sure. the Kitchen. Um, you get mm-hmm. 10 people working back of house. That's just easy numbers. You would just split that uh, $100 per person. Provided that they all... I've been working over four hours and get paid less than seventy thousand dollars. Yes. So, any other? So, let's get into like the line item. So, you say the two POS systems that you know that are able to create a, a service charge, and you mm-hmm. is there anything when it comes to legalities of how that has to show up on the ticket? Or I think you just need to ex- explain what it is. I mean, the ticket. Uh, our ticket says kitchen gratuity, so there's no confusion as to where that money is supposed to be going, and further. We reinforce that, like I mentioned earlier, we reinforce that with the description on the menu, exactly what, because it's a new marketplace, it's a new revenue stream, we list exactly on the menu who is the beneficiary of this, these monies. Um, and, and, and from a legality standpoint, that's, a, that's an important question you're asking because this is a basically unprecedented from a legal standpoint. Um, when you talk about the server tips, the front of house tips, that's been litigated and litigated and appealed. And I mean, there's, there's lots of precedents in place um, there as to how much you can tip out, who you can tip out, um, tip credits from a taxing standpoint. There's a lot of information. When it comes to this, there's basically nothing because this doesn't exist. I mean, there are a few other restaurants around the country that, that do something like this, but not enough to, to have any kind of 
real defining legal merit, I suppose. So if I go to one of your restaurants and I have a great meal and I get the check, there's going to be three lines. There's going to be tip, kitchen gratuity, gratuity, sorry, and then total, and then the place to mm-hmm. sign. And um, and then is it a legality that you have to put a description of where the kitchen gratuity goes? You said you put it on the menu. Is that just to cover your, so. your butt or okay? I, I mean, I don't know. Again, like I said before, I'm not. I'm not positively sure. I think better safe than sorry. Um, the service staff has been really thoroughly trained how to explain that if asked, uh, and only if asked. They don't discuss it otherwise. But if a guest asks, these guys are walking encyclopedias on tip of the kitchen. They can tell you about the people's names of the people in the kitchen that are that are the beneficiaries of it and what their jobs are and how it works. But until they're asked, they don't talk about. It. What if you get a tip that's like outrageous like mm-hmm. say something like seventeen hundred dollars yeah like a seventeen hundred dollar tip and we got one of those and yeah. you're like shit you need charleston got one of those. i gotta yeah. i gotta match that <laughs> like what happens well, no, I, cost I, the, then? The, the, the <laughs> max match that i pay is five hundred dollars so okay. I, the max that i match is five hundred dollars and so that happened um, that's happened a few times of uh, really substantial tips but like huge tips uh one guy came in to charleston with his son for his son's birthday and um, the dish that the son wanted was taken off the menu, but our staff, our kitchen guys work together. And, and, and I say guys, I mean, guys, non um, gender based. <laughs> I just, I'm from the Northeast and we call everybody guys, but the people in the kitchen, I suppose, um, put it together, put together this dish. It was the kid's birthday and they made it happen for him. And so the, the dad said, I want to make sure that everybody in the kitchen makes a hundred bucks tonight. How many people work today? It's said 17. So he tipped $1,700 and then I matched 500. So, I mean, there were other tips too that day, but but those two combined was $2,200 that went to the kitchen that day That's um, from this that table. But I could see this, unfortunately, I could see people who are kind of slimy. They could all, they had, could they have, 10 people who work in the kitchen could all pull together, you know, $1,700 collectively and give it to their friend and say, come into dinner and give this to us. So would, do it. But, so you know, fine. I'm just so saying, like, I, I can see it I mean, where people would abuse I look the at program. it like this. I look at it this way is, is my intention is to pay the $500 per restaurant every day, no matter what. That's what I want. That's my preference. And in my mind, you know, you were asking before about increases in operating expenses. I view that as a labor expense. Um, I view that as a built-in labor expense that if I wasn't doing the tip the kitchen, I was going to have to spend most, if not all that money, probably more on hiring staff anyways. Um, but, but tip the kitchen is what really pushes it over the top and allows that money to work for us. So basically, on the operator side, the way that I, I hope other restaurateurs would consider this is we basically created a machine that's able to double the money that we can pay our kitchen staff as long as you're willing to pay your kitchen staff the money. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't put that money in your pocket as an operator. That's not your money that belongs to the kitchen. But if you if you follow this model, your spending power is increased by almost two to one, which is, you know, for an operator's point of, point of view, is a, is a great thing. Yeah, I'm putting a note. I think would be, I'm just a mental note here. I would love to do a workshop, whether it's with you, maybe not a workshop, but just yeah, a, yeah, of, course. Uh, of like a screen share of walking people through step by step how to add that additional line yeah. gr- gr- gratuity to the kitchen. So everybody knows how to do that in um, mm-hmm. the back end. Is it okay if I have like a team with me? Because I, yeah. I don't know how to do anything really. Um, I just I, I just get people to help me. 
a step-by-step on how to do that would be really great. Um, and we, we can talk awesome. about that later, but I think that'd be very helpful for our listeners. Um, and that would be a live event in the network when we do that. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, so, okay. Anything we, we haven't discussed as far as the elements of how to execute this, we talked about, uh, legalities. We talked about how the money is being divvied up. We talked about the qualifying factors. What are the elements we have not discussed that will round this off to fully help people understand how to implement this? The, the the big piece that's missing here, and I actually I think one of your listeners asked this question is what happens to the front of house staff? Yeah, that was one of my questions um, I was going to ask too, but I wanted to make sure we got. It. So there's right. no, there's nothing else regarding the step by step process on how to execute and implement. That's I want to make sure we're, we're wrapping that up. There's no there's nothing that we're there's no key to the recipe that we need to be able to execute this that we're missing. I think I, I not that I can think of right now. I would certainly say that anybody who is contemplating this needs to be prepared to have a lot of conversations with their staff and do a lot of training. Um, because what makes this work is a partnership, not just between the ownership and the guests, but also between the kitchen and the front of the house. In a perfect world, this is designed not only to make the kitchen more money, but really to try to address some of those issues that you and I discussed at the beginning of this, which is that there is a toxic atmosphere driven by a wage gap between the front of the house and the back of the house. And so to get people on board with this, you have to work hard. Even, even if it benefits them, you have to work hard because again, people don't always like to change. Tell me I can't and I'll show you that I can. And so we spent an enormous amount of time talking to our staff, um, backing up the things that we said with data, being as transparent as we possibly could financially so that people bought in because once they buy in, once the servers and bartenders buy in, the tip percentage starts going up even further because they want the kitchen guys to make money. They want the people in the back to, to narrow the gap because it makes for a better work environment. But that takes a lot of investment of time. So this isn't necessarily a line out on a receipt or a point of sale system but it is an absolutely essential part of making tip the kitchen work is that you need the buy-in from everybody in your team to do it. So, so I have questions. We're going to answer those questions because I do, I'm interested in those too, but I really want to make sure we unpackage the how to execute and getting the cultural buy-in is huge. So any advice on that, how, how to pitch this to your team, how to roll it out, the things that your team needs to hear in order to be more likely to buy in. First thing is have an open door policy when it comes to finances. Um, if there's a, if there's a tip, the kitchen related question, um, it gets elevated to, to me and, uh, upper management immediately. Um, I hope, <laughs> I hope they have. Um, but I know that I've seen quite a few come across my, my, um, email inbox that, you know, are easily fixed, but if you don't fix them in a timely fashion, just like that guy waiting for the undercooked steak with the red button you know, the negative space starts to get filled with negative thoughts. And so it's our job as the people that are administering this to try to resolve the problems really, really quickly. So have an open door policy when it comes to this. Second thing is, is to know the system forwards and backwards and realize that, that if you don't know what you're talking about and you try to BS somebody about their money, they're going to lose faith completely, completely. You got to know what you're talking about if you want to initiate a program that changes the way people earn their money. Um, and be willing to admit if there's something wrong with it. Um, our servers came to us at uh, Tempest, our other restaurant in Charleston, a few months ago, and they pointed out that um, a certain component of this was 
was problematic. Now it didn't amount to a whole lot of money, but it was a, it was a fair point they made. And we immediately went and said, you know what, you're right. And we adjusted it um, to try to fit what they were pointing out. And we didn't just adjust it at Tempest, but we adjusted it at all of our restaurants. And so I think being willing to understand that, again, this is a new system, it's a new model and being adaptive um, without changing the sort of the skeletal structure of it is not only important, but it's necessary to, to thoroughly vet a new system. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe problems are going to come up that couldn't have been anticipated. It's our job to be willing to adapt. Yeah. So uh, and, and the, back to how to onboard the staff in this program, open door policy, uh, basically, basically open book management, uh, know the system of for implementing inside and out, just basically like, and when I hear that, I hear you educating the staff on how it works to the T in the, 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 how the whole, what you basically just did for us today is what I'm yeah. saying from that. Anything yeah. else when it comes they probably to would like less of it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably, my management would probably like to hear a little less of it, frankly, because I talk about it so much, but and, yes, that's true. But I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned on the show is culture isn't just what you say it is. It's what you do every day. It's the thing. It's the conversations. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, it's, it's your language. It's, it's all this stuff is your culture. And, and if you want something to be a certain way, you have to echo it. You have to bring it to the surface. You can't just say, this is how we do it one time. It's on right. going. I think the best example of this is Hertz Schultz's, uh, with, um, Oh, uh, the hotel. Oh my God. I can't believe Brits Carlton. You know, he was kind of the, the mm-hmm. man behind Ritz Carlton for the longest time. They cycle through all their, their standards of excellence. There's 24 of them on a loop every day. They start with one, they go to two and they go to 24 and they start back at one, you know, and you have to echo these things constantly because if you don't, then it just people, it, it, it settles, it goes to the wayside. Um, so anyway, I digress, but any other elements on how to get your, your staff to buy in because that's such an important, I think that's such an important element. I, I'm really drilling here, but I want to make sure we're not missing anything because I don't think this has ever been documented before. So I want to make sure we can get as much of it out yeah. as possible. I mean, certainly, certainly, you know, using our data would be a smart move. I mean, I publish everything. And so, um, you know, doing it the first time is when there's no precedence is a little terrifying. Um, but now that they're, I mean, granted we're only one group, but we've got five restaurants and we've been doing it for a year at all the places where we will be. And so um, we're not doing it for a year. We're doing it forever, but we're going to publish it for a year. And so where do we find, this I think having uh, all of our data is on tip the kitchen, the Twitter page, Instagram page, it's all public. So I think being able to go and say, you know, to your servers, Hey, if you follow this model, your tip percentage is not going to be reduced or go to your kitchen guys and say, Hey, if you follow this model, you're going to be able to make ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 more a year or more um, to get that initial buy-in to go to your management and say, Hey, if you follow this model, you will spend 90% or more less time on LinkedIn, uh, 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 indeed Craigslist, in interviews and that's front and back of the house. Cause you're just not constantly turning people over. If you are able to, to present that to your team. Um, and, and like you said, reinforce it over and over again with its merit, it, it, ma- it makes it just a lot easier to get the buy-in. So I think, I think you can't just go to the entire staff and say in the management and say one shot, Hey guys, we're going to tip the kitchen. 
Yeah. Ta-da. So like you have to attack the different departments with the things that those departments need to hear to be able to affect the change the way that you want. So one more quick question uh, around you, you said open book management, open finance is really important. Uh, I get a lot of pushback when I talk to operators about open book finance and they say the dishwasher doesn't give a shit about where the money's going and how the money works. And no matter how much I want to tell them, they just won't care. Um, so that level, like at what, at what level do you do? Just for what it's worth, for what it's worth. Let me just say something. That's a total disgrace. Just because the dishwasher doesn't give a shit today about how the economics works. Doesn't mean that they might not five years from now, they might not give a shit because they don't understand the scale. They don't understand because they don't care. They don't care because you didn't give them any reason to care because they're making $12 an hour at your Buffalo Wild Wings washing dishes. If you give them a reason to care, most people will. Mm. So I, that, I'm sorry. I, sorry. I just, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. They don't care. I think that people care about the things that are important to them. And yeah. if they don't care about what you're saying, it's because you're not important to them. So what about profit? How far do you take open book management? Do, 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 does your team know how much money I mean, you take home? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if my, we, we, so we, we print reports every week. This is before tip the kitchen. We print reports every week. We call actuals and they're more or less just a, a summary profit and loss statement. Um, they're not perfect. They're estimates in a lot of cases, but we publish them every week. We have managers meetings. They're, they're reviewed in managers meetings. The budgets are written for the following week or the following weeks. And so we're, we're like, I mean, we're not open book with our servers and bartenders yet, although I don't really have an objection being so, um, but we are with our management team to give them the tools that they need to understand how to manage their business financially. And then obviously for tip the kitchen, we've been open book uh, with our revenue and where we're spending some of our money in order to show how it all works. But I mean, I don't, I'll publish my P and L's. I don't care. Yeah. Anybody can look. <laughs> well, thank you for clarifying that. I do. That's where I get pushback. And I was, I was curious because I'm sure you probably hear pushback too. And I wanted to know what your argument was. And I, I'm, I'm happy you got into that. So the, we started talking uh, about where the pushback is. You said that there was a one example at Tempest where your service came and said, this isn't working here. Here's what's not working. What was that Mm -hmm. pushback? Give me an example of some of the other pushback you get. Cause if we do this in our restaurants, we're probably likely to come across similar pushback. So let's get ahead of it. Let's have the answer to that pushback before people present it to us. So are you talking about, okay, so there's two different kinds of pushback that we've received. The one is internally from staff, and that was the only incident that I think I've ever had with staff with this that I've heard about that was substantial. Um, but most of the pushback came from sort of the outside world. So sh- should I just discuss the, the technical side of this, the staff's yeah, get issue? Into, get into both. It. I think it's important to, ha- to be ahead of this because if we can foresee the pushback, we can ha- if, if we have an answer in that moment, I think we can right. kind of you know, get ahead of it. The staff's issue was really technical. It was, it was regarding the backstop, which we haven't discussed yet, which I think we're going to, um, and how the functionality of how it worked, um, how we determined what was a split tip versus what it wasn't. But let's, we, let's back around to that for a second. The biggest issue that anybody initiating this program is going to be is people not understanding it and jumping to, to, to shitty conclusions and making uninformed hot takes. That's, that is the number one issue. You're going to go online and you're going to say, okay, we're doing tip the kitchen. And you're going to get 101 comments of people screaming at you, uh, pay your staff a livable wage. Why did you pay? Why don't you stop being such a greedy fucking asshole and pay your staff a livable wage? That's you're going to, you're going to hear that on nauseam. And, and, and sadly, you're going to hear it first from, from people in the industry. You're going to hear it first from people in the restaurant business. Um, and then you're going to hear it from people that, that are not in the restaurant business, but just feel compelled to, to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this we I mean we have gotten so much feedback uh, like that. In fact, the first couple months of this, every time a new story ran, there'd be a comment section and it would just be filled with the same thing over and over and over again. Why not just raise prices? Why not just pay them a livable wage? Why not do this? Why not do that? And, and first of all, most of the comments were people that don't work in the restaurant business. And so they don't understand the economies of it. Secondly, most of the comments were people that clearly didn't read the articles or read how the, the system works. And so they were just sort of jumping to the conclusion. This is another attempt um, to nickel and dime customers to quote unquote subsidize or underwrite the, the operations. Um, I think just being informed about the system prepares you to be able to deal with those kinds of things. Um, it's not true. I mean, it's just, it's not true. We're not asking our guests to, to, to sort of unilaterally pay for anything. We're, we're asking them to partner with us and that has really worked. Um, I want to pay my staff a livable wage, but I also want to be solvent. Um, and at the time when we initiated this, I was not solvent. Most restaurants weren't and most restaurants aren't right now. What's the definition so of some solvent sort of, for Dummies like me. Sorry. Not, just, what do you mean by solvent? Just to define. In so that. means that you're not you're 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 able to keep the lights on and and stay open. Got it. Um, most restaurants right now are completely buried in debt from the last two years, and so you want to do the paper, right thing, none but you of them can't do it at the expense of your business. Right. I mean, if I was saying okay, if I was making thirty percent profit and just stacking up money and saying I can't pay my staff, that's a different story. But if I'm if I'm struggling to stay solvent, like. 95% of independently owned restaurants are right now. That's, I think that people should listen. We're not, I'm not saying it because I want, I'm you, the description of the restaurant person that you said before of people that are not doing this just for the money or they've got other motivations. I think that describes me and my group to a T. I think we want to be able to be profitable and we want to be able to return on our investment and be solvent and sustainable. But I think we also don't want to do so if we're doing it, um, at the expense of other people being able to live a normal life. And so um, that's that's a real fallacy that I think people are so quick to go to, which is that, oh, they're just greedy owners and 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 they're just ripping us off and they're just they're just nickel they're just asking for a little bit more. You know, they just want a little bit more from us. And and that's just that's just patently false. And so yeah. being prepared to answer those questions is is critically important um at the outset and also just being able to say you know this is a new system not everyone's gonna like it not everyone's gonna get it and um i believe in the long-term uh positive effects of this and they'll win people over and it has yeah um so that we we discussed the consumer the outward facing pushback but have we touched on the inward the the in-house pushback okay yeah i mean again in-house there wasn't really pushback as much as it was I'm comfortable. I'm a server, right? I'm comfortable with the way things are going. I make a steady income. I like my job. Um, I know what I'm going to get when I come in here and that provides relief for me. And I have far less stress because of it. Now you have this kind of radical system that's, that's, that's directly impacting their tips um, in some cases. And, and I have to trust the ownership and I have to trust somebody besides myself to make sure that my money is handled properly. And I hate to say this, but you restaurant owners that are listening, know this is true. There's a lot of the, the restaurant owners that are out there that are dishonest yeah. that, that, that in, don't 
function. Um, <laughs> I've heard properly. some stories. Sorry, I just true. I just came from I mean, New Orleans. True. I'm not going to ma- I'm not going to name well, names um, because I just don't. I've had personal that. I've had personal experiences with this. Uh, uh, many personal experiences. With yeah, this. there are people um, who are abusing tip the kitchen, where they they say this money is going to the kitchen, and guess what? The kitchen doesn't get it. Uh, and I'm not going to say who because that's right. not what we're here to do. But mm-hmm. that is a good way to create a lot of distrust in the industry. Yes. So if you're going to do this, freaking do it. Don't, don't, please don't ruin this. You know, like be, be an Well, I've seen a bunch person. of something, Eric, that I think is worthy of talking about more down the road is, is that if you just add a gratuity line for the kitchen on your, on your receipt and say you're tipping the kitchen, that's not, I mean, good for you. And I, and I, and I, and I want, I want people to want to pay the kitchen staff more money. So that's a step in the right direction. But frankly, that's, that's not, Really, first of all, it's not going to do a whole lot. People are going to leave one and two dollar tips, and that's it. There's going to be low participation. You're going to get all the negatives from it, um, but it also is going to perpetuate that idea that restaurant owners are asking guests to solely pay for increases in their operation, and that's not what the tip the kitchen model is about at all. It is a partnership. It needs to be a partnership. If it's not a partnership, it's not the tip the kitchen model. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, we, we're going deep, and you're giving us gold, man. I think we're uh, about ready to do some open it up for Q and A. But I want to make sure you mentioned something quickly. Backstop, and you said that's the one yes. thing we haven't talked about. So I want to make sure we do touch on that. What do you mean by backstop? Okay, so this is this is this I think answers one of the questions from before, and this is really important. So it's only reasonable to assume that if somebody leaves a tip for the kitchen, sometimes they may take that away from what they were going to leave the front of the house. We see this. Actually, we see this about a third of the time, about 30% of the time is um, I was going to leave a 20% tip to the server, but instead of doing that, I'm going to leave 10% to the kitchen and I'm going to leave 10% to the front of the house. So because they're trying to reward the kitchen, they end up punishing the front of the house, which isn't fair to the front of the house. And so what my company does is we provide a backstop. We call it the backstop, which means that if we see a split tip, a tip that is in any way split, we subsidize, we, we, we provide the, the difference to get all of the servers to 22% on those tips. So regardless of whether it was going to be a 20% tip or 22% tip or 18% tip, we guarantee up to 22% in the event that or maybe it's 23%. I can't remember, but it's, let's say 22 for easy math. We guarantee 22% on any split tip, no matter what, um, for our service staff. That includes the bartenders as well. How do you know it's a split tip um, and just not a bad tip? You know, I've been asked that a couple of times. I don't, um, but I, I think I don't sort of from a binary sense, uh, I do functionally because if we see, uh, you know, we study tip percentages as well for our staff. And so if we see a trend where somebody's consistently getting bad tips, we were able to filter that out pretty quickly. Um, but most of the time, our staff is really good. And so that's not a problem that we have to deal with a lot. If there are situations that have happened where, um, you know, if somebody gets a 0% tip, and the kitchen gets a tip. We don't assume that's a split check. We assume there's a problem with that ticket yeah, or that customer. Or that frankly, server, maybe. If the customer's leaving a 0% yeah. tip, the problem's with them. I don't care what the server did. <laughs> um, <fair>. but, <laughs> but that's just because I used to wait tables and bartending. There's no reason for a 0% tip. ever. I don't care what they did. Um, although somebody's going to message and say, oh, what if they throw a banana cream pie on my face? Okay, fine. Don't leave the tip. Just leave. But otherwise, 
you shouldn't leave a zero percent tip. So when I am, but if it's a zero percent tip, it's not it's not intended to be a split a split tip. So do you have your? If it's ten percent and ten percent, it is. Do you have your manager going through every ticket and seeing looking for split tips, or is it is there a standard operating procedure where it's the server's job to bring that to the attention of the manager? When the server does the paperwork at the end of the night, they separate all 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 checks where the 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 tip the server tip has been noticeably reduced i.e. anything i think it's like 15 percent or below is where we start to really notice because people don't tip that normally in our restaurants yeah. so i think our restaurant company-wide tip percent is around 23 percent company-wide and so if we see 15 percent and we see a five percent tip to the kitchen clearly that's where the difference went and so we pay them the difference and so if let's say it's a hundred dollar tip right or i'm sorry let's say it's a hundred dollar check ten dollars goes to the kitchen ten dollars goes to the server or the bartender what we do is we throw in $12 towards the server to make sure the server gets their 22%. So far since we started this, we've paid $200,000 to the servers and the bartenders. So clearly that was a, 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 an important part of our model because our tip percentage before that we started tip the kitchen and after is actually identical. It's, it's within a tenth of a point. Um, so our tip percentage hasn't gone up or down but our volume has gone up by like a huge margin. And I think because it's because of the backstop that's allowed it to stay flat yeah. like that. So the SOP there is if you get a tip that's below 15%, red flag it, present it to your manager, and they'll bring it up to 23% if that's the case. If it's split. I mean, if, if, there's, it's, if it's 15%, if, there's no tip for the kitchen. Yeah, if, if you can identify that, you didn't get a good split. tip. But the red flag is um, 15% or less. And at the end of the night, I mean, there's lots of them. I mean, we have, I mean, at the end of the night, we'll, we'll have dozens of these things and so the servers will stack them up on their on their receipts they'll write it on their paperwork so it's very visible where it is and then the managers will you know note it in the report itself yeah mandatory report patrick this has been a great conversation man you i got exactly what i was hoping to get details good very fine details on how to implement this i think we might even be able to take it further i mean if, if you guys are listening to this and you're and you're not in the network um I think what we can do in the future is maybe host another just a Q&A because I think there's probably going to sure. be a lot of questions with this if you're willing to do that. Uh, where yeah. if, if you're interested in being a part of that, um, email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll, I'll add you to a list so you, you can be sure to join us. And you don't have to be in the network for that one because I think that this is so important that we are transforming the industry that I don't want any anything to keep you from being a part of that conversation. So if you want to be a part of that conversation, email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. And what I'll do is I'll get you a, a 30-day trial to the network to be a part of the conversation so you can make that conversation. Um, that way we can get you in so you you don't miss this opportunity to, to learn how to solve this problem for a lack of better terms. So one more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we're going to be right back to answer some, uh, some questions. Cause I'm sure there's plenty of them. Today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts. Seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before and dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive dramatic impacts you can make 
on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face to face. That's just the way people choose to communicate, and there's not much we can do about it. Or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And Talk to the Manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with Talk to the Manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using Talk to the Manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use Talk to the Manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And uh, the first question coming at us is from Harlan Scott, past guest on the show, multiple repeat guests on the show. Harlan, congratulations. I think you just got recognized last year for doing some good stuff down in Texas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm about to open a second location of um, a restaurant in Austin, and I'm very interested in finding a a model where my kitchen can participate in the tips. Um, I was going to come at it from a different angle, but we'll get not not important for this call. But um, are when you're posting jobs for cooks, are you able to say, hey, we're going to pay you X an hour, but my, my cooks average, you know, six dollars more an hour in tips. And therefore, are you able to pay? slightly below market with your wages um, or like do you do the job posting to say, Hey, cooks average 25, $30 an hour. Um, are you able to see some benefit there to reduce your bottom line? Um, to reduce my costs. Yeah. I mean, so we did an initiative in June where we, we announced that we're going to, our minimum wage was $15 an hour for all staff. And so that's sort of our, our floor. Um, and sure. I mean, if, if, we haven't gotten there yet, but I think if you wanted to do something where you said, okay, um, all, all new hires, no matter what position you have, get paid $15 an hour. 
And then with each successive, you know, six months or performance base, they go up a dollar here, a dollar there. Um, the tip the kitchen um, model is getting them an extra 60 bucks a shift. So when we advertise it, we advertise the, not only what their fixed hourly would be, but also what their earning potential or what the performance has been previously. And that has helped us immensely get people in the door. Right, right. And then you're paying 15 an hour for your servers as well? Uh, no, we just guarantee oh, okay. $15. They make, they make, we do guarantee. $5 an hour for, for yeah. servers, $5 an hour for servers and, and then their tips. Do you feel that um, sometimes when people make that choice to tip the kitchen, they'll split the difference and instead of giving 20% to the server, do 10 and 10? How often do you see that? It's about, it's about, actually, I've got it right here in front of me. It's about 30% of the time that we've seen that um, so far. So uh, so 30% of the time when people actually leave a, 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 a tip So um, for the kitchen. So of all of the tip the kitchen receipts that we've gotten, um, which constitutes 21% of our total customer base, 30% of those um, are, are what we call a split ticket or a split tip where, yeah, 10% or 11% for the kitchen, 11% for the house. And thank you. Thank you. Last question. Why do you choose to match it? I mean, are they not already just coming out way ahead with just this additional tip that they're getting? Matching, it seems like additional exposure that might be unnecessary because what you're doing so progressive and pro-employee anyway. I think I know the answer, So, and I'm proud of myself for knowing the answer. <laughs> okay, Eric, let's, let's, see, let's see how you do with this. Because... Because... There, it has to be a, I think the message I got is it has to be a team effort and it has to be um, you can't ask from your guests what you're not willing to do yourself it's a level of buy-in that's necessary in order for it to work that's correct and, and Harlan I, I think an important point here is to say that this model is is adaptive and sliding so I sure. chose the 500 I chose the $500 match number because I was trying to forecast like each store okay let's say for every million that we're gonna do in sales, I'll put a hundred dollars in. And I was just, you know, I was, it was very arbitrary. Uh, but it's clear that, that like, for example, our store Tempest, which is smaller, it's not quite fine dining, but that's sort of the idea that doesn't generate revenue on par with like our church and union concepts. Um, in fact, less than half. And so, um, it, having that place match the same level that church and union does seems, um, incongruent. And burdensome. Now, I don't care because it, we're, we're still doing fine at Tempest, so we're not going to change it. But if you're a restaurant that's forecasting doing, let's say, a million dollars in sale or $2 million in sales, you know, instead of it being a $500 match, maybe it's a $100 match or a $200 match. And so that can limit the amount of sort of cash liability exposure that you could have on a weekly basis if everyone participates, you know, and gets you the full match every day. But gotcha. I think it's also important to bring to the conversation that you said, since you started doing this, you've seen an uh, increase in sale in sales by $3 million. So maybe, yeah, you're giving up 3.3% of your, your, you know, your, your, your operational expense increases 3.3%, but how much more profit or how much total, how much more total revenue are you bringing in as a result? So are you still being right. becoming more profitable? So like you, you're taking a hit up front, but over time you're making up those costs and you're increasing total revenue. So you're actually still coming out far more on top. Correct me. I'm not a numbers guy, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, what, what you're saying, what you're saying is right. I think, I think the direct expense, the direct expense increase is around 3%, a little over 3%. 
from, again, if you're looking at this only, but once you take into consideration all the expenses that you're saving, um, and I'm sure Harlan and lots of other restaurant owners know that feeling, you, I, like, you, you nailed it before, Eric. I think it's about, I think we're going to end up spending around 1.5% um, on this program from our top line. The difference is, is that our top line has increased by, you know, company-wide by, you know, 80% or something since 2019. Obviously, we have more stores, so that's not a one-to-one number, but but they've gone up substantially because we've been able to handle the volume and because the product that we put out is better uh, than it was pre-COVID and more consistent. Yeah. Harlan, any pushback on that? No. Okay. Uh, Bob, I see you patiently with your hand up, and I, I, I know you must have tons of questions. So, Patrick, take a breath. He's always got a good one. Go for it, Bob. I am absolutely enthralled with the concept of somebody trying another hybrid of the model that we built in 2000. Okay? By the way, Patrick... Danny Myers, when you hear him talk about no tipping, that's me. Oh. Yeah. So what's the question? Well, thank Bob? you for trying it. What's your question, buddy? Well, well, here's the thing. The reason why he stopped doing it after he initiated it, and he was the only one that actually did it verbatim for the way we wrote it, was 40% of his front of the house ran for the hills. Okay? Right, right. And they found out later that 10% of them were stealing. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's not go into that subject. Right. I can give you horror stories of guys where I was, okay. where yeah. I was the CFO of a company, and I looked at their tipping you know, policy. I said, you can't do that. It's illegal. They said, we're not changing it. Have a nice day. And two years later, they got hit with $1.75 million in penalties. So what's but, different but, about this that's not illegal? Well, what's different about this is that none of the things – you see all the hoops that the poor guy has to go jump through uh, to take it to another level, and and that's a problem for me. You're talking uh, about, when you say hoops, are you talking about matching? Well, I'm just talking about the, the subsidizing. I'm talking about the additional line on the POS. I'm talking about the educational process. I'm talking about all – you know. When you really, that's why I asked the question, what was the tipping percentage pre-model? Was it at least 20? You, you mean for our service staff? Yeah. Our service staff made around, company-wide made around 23% pre-model. pre, okay. pre, okay. pre model. Okay. And, and we, did, we did a study like two weeks ago, and since starting to the kitchen, it's at 23%. In fact, it really hasn't changed um, substantially at all, uh, yeah. from a, from I got, a, from a I got percentage into, standpoint. I got into some real trouble on an old website, uh, formerly known as foodservice.com, because we got into a match back and forth online about this tipping model in 2010. And they claimed that it only worked for, you know, Tom Keller and $125 cover and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I tried to explain to him that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got disgusted and put the model on the website. Okay. And the premise was the same things you, you were talking about. The elimination of the wage gap. Okay. 
a, a substantial model change. Hell, if you go to Europe, no, I'll, I'll make it better. If you go to Japan and try to tip, they think that's insulting. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's a culture change situation. Mm-hmm. And the basis here of me asking you what the tipping percentage was, was that's what your customers were willing to pay. Okay? You could have raised your prices by that percentage and said, no more tipping, guys and gals. It's the exact same money that you're paying already. Okay? The difference is I'm going to pay over not just a living wage. I'm going to pay over and above a a living wage. Right. Okay, with benefits and a million other things that I can go into detail about. So which think, I'm sure I'm sure you're aware. Of. So thank you very much, Bob, um, Patrick. I, I kind of think I know what you're thinking, but I want to hear from you. What, what's your pushback on that? And Bob, uh, I think I don't know if there's any other questions. If you guys have other questions, I'll put your hand. Well, no, up. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I love the idea of not tipping. It's, 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 you know. If you read about tipping, right, and its history, it's got a pretty ugly history. Um, that said, I'm not trying to solve a sociological problem that's, you know, 100 years old. I'm trying to solve an economic problem that's right now. And the way that you do that is by having the environment shift in small pieces rather than having some, you know, really revolutionary change one shot that not everybody's on board for and so while I would love nothing more than to get rid of tipping and just have it be, you know, I'll raise my prices, you know, 25, 30% and be done with it. Um, I, I, I don't think that, the, that at least this country is ready for that yet. Um, and I know that lots of other restaurants are not going to do it. And so, like I said before, with my criticism of, of the Union Square model was not that the model was bad, but that if you can't get other people to participate, yeah, your staff leaves, um, which is what Bob just mentioned. Um, I don't need other restaurants to participate with Tip the Kitchen. I'll, I'll just do it. If they don't want to do it, then I'll do it. And I'll enjoy purchasing power that exceeds theirs by, you know, 50 to 100%. That's, that's the advantage um, of this is that this model is, is not mandatory for all of our guests. It's not mandatory for any of our guests. You can participate. You don't have to. Um, and the, the ratio of people that have, is a, is a vast minority. I mean, it's, it's, it's 21%. There are, you know, two out of 10 people actually even do this. And it's enough where every single one of the people that work in my kitchen, um, kitchens makes not just a livable wage as per like Johns Hopkins or New York times or whoever's, whoever sets that number, MIT actually had a report. Um, but rather what I think is a livable wage, what we decided in my company was a little wage based on local rent and grocery costs, which was, I think we had like we had it either like forty nine thousand dollars or fifty thousand one hundred dollars, something like that. That's what I want. I want everyone that works for me to make over fifty thousand dollars a year. That's that's the objective. And so far, um, we're we're getting really close. The average is over that, but we still have, you know, the low end of the average is still slightly below it. So that's what we're working towards. So I did have one more question um, regarding regarding payout. Are you paying out at the end of the shift, or is that going to the paycheck? It's all paychecks. So we used to do, we used to do um, tips at the end of the night for everybody. And what ended up happening was we were keeping, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, on site. And unfortunately, 
the, the that's dangerous. It's dangerous for your management. It's dangerous to, to, to have that kind of cash around. And frankly, I just rather not have that kind of cash. And so we put everything on paychecks on a weekly basis. And you know, when you get your paycheck on Friday, there is your tip of the kitchen. Now, the only other question I have is the, is there a system that you're you're implementing to track that? Is it an Excel? Like, what are you doing to? At the end of the day, you, you had this much money come in from Tip the Kitchen. Uh, you split that mm-hmm. up between. You know, we went over the qualifying factors. Then, like, where does that money go to track? Like, how do, how do you, how are you tracking that? Yeah, we have a, we have a spreadsheet for each. So 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 there's a master spreadsheet that just is sort of the the, the blank version, and then we save each week at a bottom tab. Um, and it's, it's, it, it, if you click on the week, like I can literally go in my computer right now into, you know, our file share and go back to the second week that we started this and look at each individual person that was working in the kitchen, each individual shift and see how much they made. Cause it lists it out for them. Um, and then we keep that forever. So if there's ever a question, if ever somebody in the kitchen, like here's a, here's an important fact. Actually, we talked about, we missed this before Eric. Ah, kitchen staff is receiving tips now which means that they have a whole different kind of tax they have to worry about they didn't have to worry about before the front of house staff does and so what we did was we made our accounting team available and our in our sort of our our in-house bookkeeping team and then our accountants themselves available to all of our staff if they ever have a question about how the money is taxed so that they don't so it's i don't i want it to be 100 percent transparent i don't want them to to think that there's some something going on. I know sometimes I get a paycheck or I used to anyway. And I, and I, you know, you see how much the government takes out and you're like, Oh my God, you know, I don't want them to have that feeling without understanding that, that, that that's just sort of how it works in America and not something that we're doing to them. So our accountants are available to them and I would 100% encourage anybody who's thinking about doing this to make sure that, that, that people that can speak intelligently about finance, can talk to your kitchen team about how to how to pay their taxes properly. Um, we had a, a message come in from Jeffrey. We are currently using Kickfin for tip out. Uh, works great, especially not having to keep the extra cash. Have you heard of Kickfin? No, Jeffrey. but it's great. That's uh, I mean, I'll check. What's it called? Yeah, uh, Kickfin. Kickfin, like kick a ball, uh, fin of a fish. If you want to jump on, I think there's. There's some members of my team, I think, watching right now. So go ahead and get started on that, guys. Yeah. Please. Um, Kick them. We got time for one more. Bob, I'm going to go ahead and let you have the mic one more time, and then we'll wrap it after that. Okay. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, Patrick, uh, give, yes, give, give something some thought. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we did when we did the no-tipping model is we took it to another level when we reached about 2015 or 2016, we did away with hourly employees. Mm-hmm. We put everybody yeah. in Yeah. We gave everybody 40 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, that's a good idea. And I got in trouble for saying this, but I'll say it again. We turned the restaurant model into a real company model. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, when you go buy, when you go to Macy's and buy something retail, they're not transparently telling you line by line what the charges are. You know, when you go buy a car, they're not telling you what the commission from the from the from the sale was. They're not telling you anything. They're telling you this is how much it is, and we're paying people X dollars a year. That's it. There there is no, you know, act like a real company. And give, you know, when you go to work for a company, right? It's base, it's bonus, it's benefits. 
its expenses, its stock, you know, its 401, etc. Why doesn't the restaurant do that? Because inherently, we're running a 1905 model with low-skilled people that couldn't get a job anyway, and this is an opportunity for them to make a living. Well, that criteria doesn't work anymore. That's, you know, you, you want to make, you said it yourself, you want to make the industry a career choice, mm-hmm. okay? And that's going to elevate the level of the skill set where you want to hire, quote, unquote, food service professionals, okay? And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. The other thing I didn't hear you talk about is when you when you look at that model, the first thing that comes to mind is what everybody's talking about now, automation, robotics, mm-hmm. things that are going to cut headcount. What is the future of his model? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the goal, Bob, is, is I just want this to be a serious industry. And I think that you really just hammered it with, with your answer is that, you know, I, we lost hundreds of thousands of people to, to banking, to graduate programs, to real estate, um, maybe tens of thousands, but um, we've lost a lot of really talented people that are young that would have probably stayed in the restaurant business, but they aren't because of the environment that it's, that it's, no reason to. you know, perpetuating. Yeah. And what the way to start fixing that, obviously there's lots of issues and we talked about a little bit to be, to start this, this interview, but I mean, the, the biggest thing is just making sure that people can make a livable wage. Mm-hmm. And once you, if you don't have that, then the rest of this doesn't matter. Like, if your staff is not making enough money to pay themselves to, 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 to make a little wage, to pay their rent on time, to pay for groceries, what they're going to end up doing is they're going to be depressed. They're going to use drugs. They're going to use alcohol. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, be miserable all the time. Maybe a few of those people will be able to get through and get, you know, on with a career like I did. Um, I wasn't using drugs, but I was, you know, when you're, when you're in your early twenties and you're, you know, you're working 60 hours a week and getting tips. It's not, it's not real. It's not sustainable. It's, you know, every summer, the reason I actually moved in, moved in management as a, as a restaurant um, employee was because I was a bartender. I was tired of the summers where I was making, you know, $50 working 10 hours a day. That was ridiculous. I'm like, how do I, how do I pay the bills in July and August and, and, and September? And so I went into salaried management because I had to, to, to live a normal life. So the more that we can do to make the economics work first is is where it starts to minimize the transience. If you pay people right, it will attract good people. And the more good people you have, the more, well, more, let's say, professional people you have, the more professional people it will attract. Yeah. Patrick, this was a great conversation, man. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm not saying Thank this you. is the only solution. I'm not saying this is the answer, uh, but it might be the answer for some people. And if you guys, yeah, have- it's it's an answer for now. Yeah, I think I think it's an answer. It's an answer for now for certain kinds of businesses. And you know, we're, we're going to open a restaurant at the end of this year called Ophelia's in Nashville. Though we might change that name. Um, but that's a smaller scale. Like I'm, I'm forecasting around $3 million in sales there. So we'll probably do a slightly smaller match because we're not doing, you know, four or five, $6 million. We might do like a $300 match. And so the data that comes back from there will, will be more transferable to maybe some of the smaller operators that are out there that are like, well, I'm not doing 8 million. So I can't take 3% more from my bottom line. 
well, maybe that would be a, a better example of how it would work in a smaller scale. If, if you guys have, if you're listening to this and you have other solutions, other models, uh, I know Harlan said yeah. he was working towards another model. I think I encourage you to reach out to me to share what you're doing. Uh, we can continue the dialogue. And um, I did mention that I would love to do a, another Q&A um, and maybe a deeper dive. We can set up some screen sharing to, to show how things Set up. Who knows? But I do think that this is a, a really interesting approach. And uh, if we have questions for you, Patrick, what's the best way to connect? Um, my um, Twitter, the Twitter page is probably the best one, honestly, because that's where most of the content is. That's um, I know a lot of people don't don't use Twitter, but um, it's tip underscore kitchen, and that's where all the data is. We've got one on Instagram. I think we're going to have one on Facebook soon. But uh, and then you can email me at Patrick at fivechurch.com. Um, and then, uh, my whole team, it really is our experts now on all this. So I've got a whole group of people and, and this is really important. We, we, we want people to do this because we think it makes the industry better. Um, I don't, I don't, people that know me, I don't really like press. I like hiding out. I like, I like our chef to get the press. I don't really do a lot of, um, self-promotion, but I think that this particular model is the most important thing that I'll ever do. And I think it's going to make an indelible impact on, on so many people that work with me and hopefully other people. We want this to be out there in the world. We published it for free. There's no model. There's no charge. There's nothing. Just look at the system. And if it works for you, contemplate it. And if you think it works, give us a holler. Beautiful. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, again to share your knowledge and to be a part of this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you. We'll cut it there. Oh, I should mention before we say goodbye, this is episode 863. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 863. We'll do our best to summarize um, and we'll have the, the contact information, uh, the social handles over there as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to today's guest, Patrick Whalen, for opening up, getting transparent, getting generous, 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 and uh, sharing this knowledge. And I think that, man, this is the change that needs to happen. This is the kind of stuff that we need to do to make a difference uh, long term in this industry by just opening up and, and being transparent and being liberal and, and generous with our knowledge. Uh, it's very powerful stuff. If you guys found value in today's episode and you want more, uh, if you have questions, if you want to connect with Patrick, I'm thinking about a uh, scheduling an event in the network, uh, just a Q and a on today's episode. Uh, so if you guys are interested in laying this out, but you still have some questions, best practices, uh, email me, Eric at restaurant Let me know if there's interest in this and then I'll go ahead and, and work with Patrick to schedule a Q and a so we can pull back some extra layers. Uh, it's really important to me that you guys get access to this information. So, um, what we'll do is if you're not already in the network and you want to be a part of this conversation, if we schedule the, the follow-up Q&A, I'll get you a 30-day pass to the network so you can be there and you can get the access to the information. Uh, I think we're going to also try to host the the spreadsheet that he created and tracking this and getting some of those tools and assets over to you guys. Um, but it's all going to be hosted in the network. That's where this stuff is going to live. If you want access to it, again, email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Um, we'll, get you, we'll get you in there at the 30 bucks a month is a little out of reach for you. I know, I know how that can be. So, uh, no hard feelings there. It's more important to me that you guys are getting what you need to be unstoppable. Uh, so in the network this week, 
Uh, actually, next week, I should say, we have Peter Wynn joining us. So Peter is the uh, chef and founder of Bami Boys. If you guys enjoyed that episode earlier this week, he's going to be live in the network to connect with you guys to answer your questions. That will be Monday, February 14th at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'd love to have you guys be a part of that Q&A. And then on uh, Monday, the 21st, a week later, we have Lori Joe Jensen, Stephanie Robson's called out guest, who's an expert in all things critters and critter control. She'll be joining us live in the network for a workshop. And uh, uh, yeah, that's what we got going on. I would love for you guys to be a part of the conversation. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.